I wonder if you can imagine the worst place that you could find yourself in. I guess for different ones of us, we would find ourselves in different parts of our imagination. Each of us could imagine the worst place in different places. I think if you could ask me where my personal hell might be, it would be St. James's Park on a Saturday afternoon. Lots of you here might disagree with me. I think I might clarify that too. Any football ground would be my personal place of, of hell. I'm not sure any idea of watching 22 people run around a football field would be much fun for me. My joy might be a quiet Saturday afternoon in a theological library surrounded by theological books. You might all disagree with me. Whether you should might be a different question. The worst possible place. There are, of course, some places where we would all agree we wouldn't want to find ourselves. A quick look at a newspaper or the BBC News app might elude some of those places for us. Sometimes I pick up my phone in the morning and you see the BBC News notifications from the day overnight and you think, what? President Trump did it to me again this morning. He seems to do it on a fairly frequent basis. I don't know about whether you wake up feeling like that. Jonah seems to be in the worst place we could imagine. This is the picture that is from the book that guides those of us preaching through June on Jonah uh, that I chose just to put on the screen. Jonah is in the very worst place that we can imagine. And if you weren't here last week, we've begun this series on Jonah. And if you want to hear Peter Smith's sermon on Jonah chapter 1, you can head to the church website to do that. I'll be speaking on Jonah chapter 3 next week, and my colleague Tony Buglis will be finishing the series on the 1st of July. We'll be missing out on the last week of June. Jonah, if you missed last week, and if you did, Peter will probably have said this, but bear with me. Jonah is a book of two halves. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are the story of a failed mission. God has a task for Jonah to do, and he sort of makes a bit of a mess of it. Chapters 3 and chapter 4 is the story of the mission accomplished. And the two halves sort of mirror each other. When you read Jonah, it's very easy to read it with a particular lens. We often pick up a book and we remember it in a particular way. Almost the way we've always read it or the way we've always heard it. And I think if you, when we get to Jonah chapter 4, you'll think, oh, is that bit really in the story? Because we almost don't ever read chapter 4. And I'm sure you've heard the story of Jonah and the big fish plenty of times. You've heard sermons about Jonah sent by God to Nineveh. He doesn't go, he ends up in a boat, he gets thrown over, he gets swallowed by a whale. You noticed in the book it's not actually a whale, it's a big fish. One of the things when we break it down and we read it chapter by chapter is we start to see different bits of the story. I was really tempted to read Peter's, listen to Peter's sermon this week. Not because I wanted to check up on it or anything like that, but because I thought, oh, I could follow on. 
And if I'm honest, partly time ran away with me this week. But then I decided actually I didn't want to follow on. I wanted to read chapter 2 and see what God said to me. I did read chapter 1 as well. What did God say to me through chapter 2? What did God place on my heart through the words of chapter 2 to share with you this morning? Maybe those of you who were here last week will tell me whether what I have to say dovetails or doesn't dovetail with what Peter said last week. Let's just have a bit of a recap for those who weren't here about the story in chapter 1. God sends a message to Jonah. I couldn't resist using my favourite Jonah slides. Uh, This is Jonah, meet Jonah. I didn't find a way to use them any other way, so I have to use them this morning. God's message to go to Nineveh. Go to the great city of Nineveh and tell them, stop being nasty or else love God. And we hear that much that Jonah should have gone inland, and that's significant to what I'll say in a minute, to Nineveh. Jonah decides to get in the boat and go to Tarshish, across the water. Water becomes significant in this story. And off he sails in the boat. Jonah goes to sleep and sleeps soundly with his teddy bear. A little bit of addition to the biblical narrative. And as he sleeps soundly, as he goes in the opposite direction to where God asks him to go, the seas get rough. The seas get really rough. And the rest on the boat wonder what they should do. And in the end, they wake Jonah up, as we read in chapter 1, and decide that something must happen. And Jonah says, but you need to throw me overboard. It's because of me and my disobedience to God that you need to act. But they draw lots. One of those bits of the stories in the Bible where lots are drawn. They pull straws for what should happen. And they end up dropping Jonah over the side of the boat. And at the end of chapter 1... When we think the end is here, when they think that Jonah will die, one of the things we know is that this story is heard first by Jewish listeners. You remember I said that Nineveh was inland. The Jewish people were not really people of the sea. Jewish people were people of the land. So at the very moment, not when he's about to be thrown overboard, But at the moment that Jonah decides to get in the boat, at that point, to the Jewish hearers of this story, at that point, Jonah's chosen death. Because to the Jewish hearers of a story about water, if you choose to get in a boat, well, you're a bit daft, really. Because they don't really do water and they certainly don't do boats. They've chosen death. Jonah's chosen to go the other way. So certainly at the point he goes over the edge of the boat. As we enter chapter 2, Jonah's decided life is over. But of course it's not over for God. Because the end of chapter 1 tells us there will be a big fish with a smiley face to make sure that Jonah is captured 
in the belly. And chapter 1 verse 17 says, God provides a great fish for Jonah for three days and three nights. God provides. As we begin chapter 2, God provides. And chapter 2 is about what God provides in the midst of Jonah's failed mission. Now, I don't know what Peter said last week, but one of the things I think we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe Jonah actually happened? What do you think about Jonah as a story? Do you believe this is real? My jokey narrative and retelling. I want you to separate in your minds whether you think real and true are the same. And I want to argue to you that real and true are different. The commentators tell us quite clearly that Jonah starts as a story. That Jonah is very similar to the story of Ruth. That most likely both of them are written as a religious tract post the exile. That they're written to help people understand something about faith and something about God. Tom Stuckey, in his commentary on Jonah, tells us that that doesn't mean they're not true. Just because something isn't physically real, do we believe there was really a big fish and Jonah had his teddy bear in his pocket? Well, possibly and probably not. But is the story true? Does the story tell us something about God? Absolutely. When we tell the story most often in fun times like all age worship, we don't stop and look at chapter 2 very often. We say, oh, and Jonah prayed in the fish. Move on to chapter 3 when he spewed up onto the beach. But if this is true, then chapter 2 tells us something about the God who steps in. The God who provides for us when things are going wrong. And if that's what the purpose of chapter 2 is, to tell us about the God who provides when things are going wrong, then what's Jonah written for and what does it have to tell us this morning? And that's the question I asked of this passage this week. Jonah made a decision to walk in the opposite way that God wanted to. That led to all that trauma on the boat. And it led Jonah to be in the worst place he could imagine. If you and I choose to walk away from God in a particular moment or for a season of our lives, it might seem okay for a while. There are times when God asks me to do things and I quite happily go in the opposite direction. But it's not for long before I start feeling a bit like Jonah does. Life starts to feel a bit stormy and like I'm in the waves. And before long, life without God starts to feel like the worst place I can imagine. And even when we're walking with God, even when we're absolutely walking with God, life because of the brokenness of the world, 
can feel like we're turned up, upside down. Life can be the worst place we can ever imagine. For those who struggle with depression and anxiety, however close we feel to God, life can feel the worst place we can ever imagine. I don't know if you've been following the story on Twitter of Simon Thomas, former Blue Peter presenter. Or if you're more back to football, the face of football on Sky Sports. Simon Thomas, a Christian, along with his wife Gemma and dad to Ethan. Last November, his wife Gemma diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia and died three days later. Horrendous. How do you cope with diagnosis to death in three days? How do you cope with that with a seven-year-old son? How do you cope with that if you're the face of football on a major TV channel? The worst place ever. I commend to you his presentation on Songs of Praise last Sunday evening and he's talking about his Christian faith in the midst of that. About how his church has supported him. Life imagined the worst place ever. I can only imagine that he has been in the worst place ever, yet he was walking with God. It's the picture of him on, Christ, on Sons of Praise last Sunday evening. Sometimes life takes us to the worst place we can ever imagine. Sometimes we are where Jonah was. Sometimes we are there. But, but, the good news is that God doesn't leave us there I'll say it again the good news of faith is that God does not leave us in the worst place we can imagine when Jonah goes over the side of that boat he thinks life is over he's sure he's going to die he's sure that God will punish him but God sends the fish to gulp him up for three days and three nights. I wonder if you know about somebody else who descended for three days and three nights. Because I do. And that person was Jesus. And we see a parallel in the story of Jonah and the story of Jesus. Of three days and three nights in darkness. But the story of Jesus of three days in darkness does not bring pain. It brings salvation and hope and eternal life. God steps in for Jonah not to bring punishment but to bring life. And when we are in our worst places, whether they're because we've turned away from God, whether because we've separated ourselves from God, or because much more likely, because I know most of you well, because much more likely because of the reality of the world, because we're in a tough place, because the world is broken, God is there, not to bring us punishment, but to bring us life, to draw us back for him. I've said a lot actually about the end of chapter 1 and that's because actually I don't think chapter 2 needs a lot saying about it other than Jonah does something really simple 
when he's in the worst of places. He talks to God. He simply allows himself to talk to God. And if you don't know what you'd say to God in those places, well actually that's okay because Jonah didn't either. Because if you read what he says in chapter 2, most of what he says are not his own words. If you get a study Bible out and look at those verses in chapter 2, when he prays, he's just deeply honest. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. Well, actually, they're words from Psalm 18. You hurled me into the depths and into the very depths of the sea. All your waves and billows passed over me. Words from Psalm 42. The waters closed in over me. Psalm 69. Well, the bit about the seaweed, well, they were his own words. I think he obviously ate a bit. Jonah made space to cry out to God. And if these look like a very neat eight verses, well, they took him three days and three nights to get to them. Because I believe what Jonah did in the belly of that fish was to cry out in anger, in frustration, in silence, in words that probably were not very polite. But God had stepped in. God was there for him. God held him. And all Jonah needed to do speak and listen and that's all we need to be able to do we might do that in silence we might do it in shouting and screaming we might find words of scripture as Jonah did helpful we might pray in tongues if we're people who have gifts of the Spirit to pray in tongues. Not everybody has that gift. Not everybody needs that gift. But if you do, you might find that's the release that you need. In Romans 8 and verse 26, Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through our wordless groans. When our lives are in those worst places, when we do not know where we're at in ourselves or with God, God is there. God steps in. And you notice what happens to Jonah by the end? But with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. Salvation comes from the Lord through his honesty through his cries of distress, through his pain, start to come those shouts of praise, those glimmers of hope, those bits of light. Not immediately, not easily, not through being in an easy place. It would be easy for me to move on to chapter 3, but we save that for next week. But I do believe that by being willing to cry out, by being honest with God, that in that we start to see the goodness and the praise of God. So whether it's today, whether it have been at other times in your life, 
whether it's at times that will come in the future. I believe the message that God has for us this morning as a community is that wherever we find ourselves, however difficult a place we find ourselves, Jonah chapter 2 says to us, the God we believe in is faithful to us. The God we believe in steps in. And his shoulders are big enough for us to cry out, say to him, to scream at him, to be angry with him, to be honest with him. And he will hear, and he will provide, and he will listen, and he will transform. Because that's the faithfulness of the God we believe in. What does he ask of us? He asks us just to recognise that he's there. It took Jonah to be swallowed by a big fish to recognise that he was there and to cry out to him.